This is a Crossroads International Church podcast, bringing lives together. Please visit our website at xrds.nl for more information about us, our service times, and for other relevant resources. Good morning. Good to see you all. Um, my name is Anna von der Leij. I'm one of the uh, teachers on the teaching team here at Crossroads. We've been going here for about 10 years now. Um, so I'm really happy to see you guys. So many familiar faces uh, to see you. And we're in a series on the fruit of the Spirit. Um, it was not for nothing that I said, Lord, will you fill us with your Spirit? Because that's what we're talking about. Paul has done the first two su- uh, sermons on the first six fruit of the Spirit, and we're, we're doing the last three today. Um, so we're going to be looking at them and wrap it up. Now, the last two weeks were uh, all about the Winter Olympics. Who's been watching? Skating, ice hockey. We've done the speed skating most of all, of course. My guilty pleasure is figure skating. I've always loved watching that. But especially speed skating, we, we, we Dutchies are really good at it. So we've been watching quite a lot of it. I don't know if you saw Irene uh, Schouten yesterday. <laughs> Woo! <laughs> yeah, we were proud. I actually, during one of the weeks, um, there was, I think it was Irene Wust, it was the final race, and I was in the middle of a meeting at work. Luckily, it was a Teams meeting, so I secretly <laughs> had my laptop and I put my phone like in the corner so I could like sneakily watch the race, <laughs> then turn it off again. So my boss is watching, I'm sorry. <laughs> but it's, uh, these athletes are fascinating. I love hearing their stories because they work for four years for this one race. I mean, Irene Wust, it was one minute, 40 seconds, something. And they work for four years towards that one goal. Um, and they're so focused, they do everything to just achieve that one goal. One of the Swedish um, skaters, Niels van der Poel, he's, he's a phenomenon on the ice. He's won two medals to this year. He put his whole training schedule online afterwards. 62 pages of every training he's done, everything he would eat, when he would rest, what It's so focused, set up, plan because he knows everything I put in, eventually on that one day, can come out. Now, if you wonder what this has to do with the fruit of the Spirit, everything that we put in, everything that we put in our spirit, everything we read, everything we listen to, everything we talk to, every time we talk to God, that's what comes out as the fruit, right? So in a sense, these athletes are an example to us. Now, Niels van der Poel would train for six or seven hours on a bike every day and do ultra runs of 150 kilometers. Um, We don't need to follow that example. But the fruit of the Spirit, what what we focus on is what comes out, and God wants to grow this fruit in us. We've been looking at the tree, of course, and um, it looks like a lemon tree. And like Paul said, if you put a label on it, it can be any tree. You can say it's a banana tree. You can say it's an apple tree. The label doesn't really matter. I can say I'm a Christian. I say, hey, guys, I believe in God, and it's all good and nice. And they're like, yeah, good. But if I don't show it in my daily life, in my behavior, it doesn't mean anything. So the fruit, our behavior, determines what we really are, and that's what people will recognize. So we've been looking at six of them already, and I want to read, I want to look at them again with you. We, Paul had a nice habit of reading them together, 
So it can also just help us to remember which they are. So we'll project them on the screen. But the fruit of the Spirit, read with me, the fruit of the Spirit produces the fruit of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Wow, that's a lot, isn't it? This essentially, first of all, this is who God is. This is God's character. He's full of love. He's full of peace. He's kindness. He gives good, good gifts. This is who God is. And this is also who you are meant to be. This is the you that God has intended for you to be. And this is also what we are able to give to the world. This is what we have to offer the world to make a difference and to show who we really are. And I can tell you the world needs this. The world needs a little bit of love and peace and kindness and goodness, doesn't it? It's up to us. And God is going to grow it in us. So we're going to look at the last three, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And we're going to start with a sip of water and then faithfulness. So faithfulness comes from the Greek word pistis. Um, and it literally means faith or belief or um, faithfulness. And my first association with faithfulness is mostly about loyalty, about keeping your promises, being faithful to people, being faithful to commitments. But the first meaning of the word pistis is simply faith or belief. And if you read only the gospel, gospel it's, you find it about 200 times in the Bible, and it's Jesus uses these, this word a lot, mainly to say, do you have faith? Do you have faith to believe that I can heal you? Like the, um, uh, like the, the man on the, that was brought by his four friends on the bed, and he said, the faith of your friends has healed you. Um, or the woman that touched his robe that was bleeding, and he said, because of your faith, you've been healed. On the other side, he, he um, tells off the disciples when it had been the storm on the lake, and they were afraid that the, the boat was going to tip over, and he, Jesus was on the boat, and he says, why didn't you have faith? I was there. You didn't have enough faith. So simply, the word, the word faith means to be full of faith. And then the second meaning definitely is faithful and being faithful to commitments and to people. But the first meaning is to be full of faith. Um, so what does that look like? What does it look like to be full of faith? When the Spirit lives in us and the Spirit changes us from the inside out, faith grows into our life and be we become more full of faith. I don't know if you remember, I had, when I was a teenager, we would go to youth camp and stuff, and we'd have these bracelets that said WWJD, what would Jesus do? do any of you had them? Yeah, you're my, you're my generation. <laughs> we had them in different colors and everything. I didn't keep them, otherwise I would put them on. But what would Jesus do? That's kind of being full of faith, is looking at situations, looking at choices that we make, uh, looking at conversations that we have with the eyes of what would Jesus do? How can this situation, how can this choice um, help build God's kingdom? How can I have faith in this situation? With what eyes do I look at it? Do I look at it with my own eyes or with eyes of faith? 
You see it in the, in, this, in the Gospels, the story of the Roman centurion. His daughter is critically ill, and he goes to Jesus because he's heard that Jesus can heal her. And he says, you don't have to come to my house because I know you can heal her even from here. And Jesus says, your faith has healed you, has healed her. And he, Jesus is actually astonished by the amount of faith he has, believing that Jesus can do that. Or Peter, when um, he's in the boat and he sees Jesus from a distance at the water, and Jesus says, come to me. And Peter trusts Jesus. He has faith, and he walks over the water towards Jesus. And as long as he keeps his eyes on Jesus and looks Jesus in the eye, he has enough faith, and something miraculous happens. He walks on water. That's faith. So maybe this full of faith is this choice. Do I look at a situation and a, choi and a, a, a choice I make? Do I look at it from the perspective of what I can humanly do in the situation? What, uh, what uh, solution I can maybe find? Or do I look at it what God might be able to do in this situation? And what he has, what the possibilities are that he can do? Do I look with my own human eyes or do I look with God's eyes? Do I have a really difficult relationship with a friend or a really difficult marriage and do I give up or do I quit because I simply don't have any solution anymore and I don't know where to go? Or do I still believe and have faith that God can do a miracle and restore and heal my relationship and make it better as a testimony of his love? Not to say that's easy, but do, we do I believe God can do something miraculously? Do I look at that person that I love in my family and my friends that is struggling with behavior or struggling with some sort of addiction um, that I see in my work a lot? Do we give up and think, well, you're a lost case. You're not going to get any better anymore. Or do we still believe that God is in the business of restoring people and making a change and making lives better? It can be a difference when we have faith in big and small moments. And it starts with what Peter did, with looking Jesus in the eye and trusting him. Because faith is what we believe to be true about God. If we believe he can do miracles, if we believe he can make a difference, if we believe he is able to change lives, that is, then that's what we'll, we'll work from. That's what will define our choices. So it matters what we know about God, how we experience God, because that builds our faith. If we know who God is, if we know him to be loving and kind and good, we can trust him. We can trust him with our choices. We can trust him with situations. We can trust him with what we do. And as our faith grows in God, if we, if we get to know God better, it also enables us to be trustworthy friends to others and to display that same faith to other people, to be faithful, to be trustworthy. Faithfulness. We get to speak faith into each other's lives. We have, this, we have a trio with a couple of friends, like from a life group, and we come together every now and then, and sometimes it's very inconvenient. We have a meeting and we're like, workday's been hard, a lot to do, and I still, we still go to the meeting because we promise we, we're committed. 
And it works because we're, we're connected to each other and it, it, it helps to be faithful and we get to speak faith in each other's lives. We, we get to speak faith and encourage each other and build each other up and um, say, you don't believe God can make it better, but I do and I'm, I'm praying for you. I'm having faith for you. And it's not about us working really hard to do that. It's about the Spirit of God doing that through us and building that faith. It's, a, uh, it's up to us to, to look at God and to focus on who he is so that our faith in our heart will be built. Faithfulness. The second one is gentleness. Well, the eighth fruit is gentleness, but gentleness is the second one we're looking at. It comes from the Greek word praotes. It simply it means gentleness. There's nothing, no other meaning to the word than that. Now, if you look at gentleness, it's often used to describe this kind of attitude of humility. It's, it's gentle people are really friendly people, good character. They're nice, they're pleasant to be around. Not the arrogant type, not the selfish type. You, you probably can think of someone, when you think of someone typically gentle, probably you have someone in your head. I heard a talk at the Global Leadership Summit the other week, and um, there was someone who was talking about the kind of people that you can be. And he had this really fun quote. He said, there are only two kinds of people in the world. The ones that make you feel good as soon as they walk into a room, and ones who make you feel good when they walk out of the room. <laughs> well, gentle people are the ones that you make you feel good when they walk into the room. Jesus himself describes, describes himself as a gentle and humble person. He says in Matthew 11, Come to me, all you are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Going back to the Olympics, if you've watched the figure skating, there was this real fuzz and about this 15-year-old a Russian girl, have you, have you heard about it? She was supposed to have, have had uh, used doping, or she was, uh, they suspected her of it. She was allowed to go into the competition and participate. Her short program went really well, and then the long program came, and she failed. She crumbled under the pressure. She fell three times. Super talented girl, 15 years old only, on this big stage, and she just didn't make it. And she comes off the stage, and her coach doesn't put her arm around her, gentle person. She yells at her, why did you give up? Why did you mess up this thing? Why didn't you stop fighting? Every, everyone fell over the coach, and rightfully so, for being so hard on this girl. She was 15 years old. That's not gentle. The spirit of gentleness would be to put your arm around her. And maybe then look at what you could have done better, but still. Definitely not the gentle person. So I did a little word study on gentleness, and I found something really interesting. Now, it's a bit of a, a, a theoretical thing, so follow me, but uh, gentleness comes from the word uh, praos. That's the root word, gentleness. And the word praos is found twice in the New Testament. One time is in Matthew 5 at the Beatitudes, where Jesus says, Blessed are the meek, blessed are the gentle, for they will inherit the earth. Interesting verse. And in Matthew 21, Jesus comes into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday, 
and he's riding on a donkey, and it says, your king is coming, gentle and riding on a donkey. Now, what it's saying there is actually a prophecy of Jesus in the Old Testament in Zechariah. Zechariah 9 is where uh, Zechariah prophesies that Jesus will be a gentle king coming on a donkey. Now, if you would look at that word, a gentle, in Zechariah, it's in the Hebrew. And in Hebrew, it's the word ani. So, an ani is actually a really common word in the Old Testament. It's used loads of times because it means humble, but mostly it means poor, needy. It's when God instructs the people of Israel to take care of the poor, to take care of the poor and the needy and the strangers. For example, to leave a bit of the harvest so that the poor and the needy can, can get some of that too. It's the poor and needy that don't have any earthly possessions, that don't have a house, that don't have a job or their own land. So they're dependent on others to, to care for them. Now, if that's the Old Testament word for poor, and if you go back to the New Testament and you see this verse in Matthew where it says, um, the meek will inherit the earth, it brings a new perspective on that because the poor in the Old Testament were the ones that didn't have anything and didn't possess anything. And then Jesus says, the blessed, the meek, will inherit the earth. So the poor that don't have anything, we're not physically poor, not materially poor, but it actually is saying the, the ones that are poor in spirit will be the ones to inherit everything God has created and given, the earth. So it's kind of saying um, the, the gentle are those that realize they don't have anything from themselves. They don't own it. We don't own our anything that has eternal value, but we've all received it from God. Can you follow me? I find it fascinating. because So gentle means that we realize we don't have anything eternally valuable, only that we have received eternal life as a gift through grace. And through grace, we've received it, and then we will be able to inherit eternal life with God. And I love it because, for me, gentleness has this attitude of humility, of, of knowing it's not about me. I'm not important. It's not, it's not about me and what I possess and what I have. It's me realizing I've also received grace, and I've also just received it as a gift. Being gentle is kind of saying, you know what? We're only human after all. I mean, we all make mistakes. I've made my share. I've sinned. I've received grace. And I know, you've I know you need some grace too. And we can be gentle with each other. I'm just grateful for the grace I've received and I'm, I'm very happy to give it to you. Gentleness, growing gentleness is also, we be, we're able to be graceful with each other maybe even be graceful with ourselves. That's how you can see gentleness in your own life. So we've had love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and the last one is self-control. I think self-control, you can all imagine something with it, right? If you look at back at the Greek word, it's, the word is ekretia. And ekretia comes from two words. It comes from enkrates, which means possession over 
possession over something, and it means power, kratos. So these two words combined say power over yourself or power over a possession. So a good definition would be self-control is the virtue of one who masters his desires and passions. Now, if you go back to those athletes, they have an amazing self-control. They're able to set everything aside and set their own desires aside and focus on this one goal that they have. 1 Corinthians 9 actually um, writes about it. 1 Corinthians 9.25 says, All athletes are disciplined in their training. They do it to win a prize. But here comes it. They do it to win a prize that will fade away. But we do it for an eternal prize. So that's the difference. When the Greek used that word to describe that you're mastering your own desires for your own goals, for your own uh, desires. But we are mastering our uh, desires and our fleshly desires. And we, um, how do I say it? Sorry, I'm losing my sentence. We're, de- we're mastering our desires not for our own sake, but b- because we surrender to the Spirit of God, not to our own spirit, but to God's Spirit. It's submitting our desires, our fleshly desires to God and saying, You've, you, I will follow your will. It's like Jesus did in the Garden of Gethsemane. He prays just before he's crucified, and he prays to God, and he says, Lord, Father, if it's possible, may this cup be taken from me. My desire, Jesus said, my desire, I don't want to do this. I don't want to be crucified. I don't want to carry this burden. My desire, can you take it from me? But then his submission says, but your will be done and not my will. That's that's self-control ultimate in the ultimate shape. It's like Paul says in Romans 7, for what I want to do, I do not do, our fleshly desires, but what I hate, that's what I do. Because it's the sin living in me. And we need the Spirit of God to fill our life so that we can do what He wants us to do and that we can live according to His will. And the more the Spirit fills us, the more naturally that will come and we will live by His desires and not just our own desires. And just to be clear, not every human desire is bad, but some of our desires and passions are bad or are sinful or are selfish and not in line with God. So we're talking about those. Self-control. So there we've had them, all nine of them, all fruits of the Spirit. Now, just looking at these last three, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, there was one, one characteristic that I thought was really interesting to see. They are all about surrender. If you look at them carefully, being faithful living is a li- living a life full of faith, living a life surrendered to God, living a life surrendering my perspective on situations and surrendering to God's perspective on situations, accepting God's guidance in my life. Gentleness is, is living with an attitude of humility, knowing that I've received grace from God and that I can um, and live through that grace, surrender to God. And self-control is submitting our desires to God's desires. So, our attitude, what God is asking of us, is to surrender. 
to surrender our life, to surrender our desires, and to say, not my will, but your will be done, God. And the beauty of the fruits is that they will start to grow from that. They will start to come naturally through that. So we've looked at the nine fruits of the Spirit. Um, and in itself, they, they represent the character and the being of God. It's the fruit that, that portrays who you were meant to be. And it's, well, let's look at the tree. These are all the fruits. Faithfulness, joy, love, patience over there. This is who you are becoming. Well, I, I hope you don't look like this. But it's sort of like this. And you might not be the perfect tree yet, but it's growing and the fruits are starting to come. And the more you start to grow, you can start picking the fruit. I won't really do it, but kind of, you can pick the fruit and you can give it to someone. And you say, hey, here, I offer you joy. I offer you kindness. I want to give you good deeds. And actually, the world needs it. The world desperately needs us to be kind, to be forgiving, to be good, to show some self-control. If anything the world needs, it's that. So how would he make this fruit grow? What do we go from here? This is the fruit that needs to grow, and we, you cannot grow the fruit. I mean, you can try, but I, mean, I think we try to make it our own tree, and you can hang a banana to it, but we won't make it a banana tree. It's still this, so how do you make it grow? Well, actually, this plant has a pretty simple life, doesn't it? It's just standing here. It's getting some water, I hope. Um, and we could put it in the sunlight. It gathers the sun and, ta-da, fruit grows. You don't really have much influence on it. And in a way, it's easy. You just need to drink from the water and catch the sun. You just need to drink from the water that God has given. And in John 15 says, Jesus tells us the secret. I'm the vine and you are the branches. I'm the vine, and you are one of those branches. If you remain in me, and I in you, you will bear much fruit. But apart from me, you can do nothing. It's Jesus that grows the fruit in you. It's the spirit of Jesus growing the fruit in you. All you need to do is remain in him. Make sure you tap from that water. Make sure you tap into God. You tap into his spirit. You're filled with his spirit day in, day out again. And he will grow the fruit in you. But are you noticing it? Are you seeing God growing that fruit in you? Do you recognize that he's growing things? Sometimes it can be challenging. I mean, it's, if, if God is, is teaching, is God is growing patience in you, it might be challenging every now and then. If God is growing gentleness in you, it might be sometimes challenging to stay gentle and not try to get your own point and make your own point. I mean, it's not always easy to grow fruit. But if we, do you see that God is doing it? Do you allow God to grow it in you? Do you maybe even say, God, grow, help me grow. Help me grow this fruit in my life. And there's one other thing that God does, because if you read John 15, it starts with saying, um, I am, my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that d bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. G 
God will sometimes cut away a few of those branches. He will cut away some of them that don't bear any fruit, like this one. He might cut it off so that the other fruits might bear, have more fluid, have more energy to it, and grow better. And that actually might be a little painful. Do you know that trees can actually bleed? When you cut off a branch from its root, root it can bleed a little fluid. It can hurt when God cuts our f- a branch in our life. If we allow him to grow the fruit, he will also purify us. And it might cut something out of it. But do we allow God to do that? And do we recognize that so maybe if something, is, if something is cut in our life, some a relation, a friendship that is cut, a, an activity that you thought was very important and do, and a passion that you had that was taking too much of your time, and somehow it falls away, do you recognize that it might be God cutting the tree, the branch, so that you can bear more fruit? I'm not saying it always is, but it might be. Do you recognize God's hand in your life in that? Maybe ask him otherwise. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, and self-control. Gentleness and self-control. Since we are living by the Spirit, let us follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our life. That's the last verse of that Galatians chapter. Since we are living by the Spirit, let us follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. May that be our desire, that we follow the Spirit's leading in everything we do, in every day of our life, and that we recognize the Spirit doing it in us. If we do that, that's our responsibility. If we do that, God will grow the fruits of of His Spirit in us. Amen.